Father, we need your help every Sunday. This Sunday, we need your help to get your word from our ears into our hearts. Would you, by your spirit, show us how you are here to help us today, to bring to mind the truth of your word, to bring us peace in our hearts as you dwell within us? Would you give us a sense, not just that there's joy and peace coming, but that it's here already and what you've brought to live among us, to dwell among us as our God. We ask you to do this through the power of your spirit and the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. A few years back, Precious and I had what we called a wave of friends getting married. We, we got invited to something like 12 weddings in the course of one year. Um, at one level, we were very excited for our friends. At another level, we thought, this is not in our budget. Could you guys slow down being romantically compatible for a little bit? Um, it was a, lot, a wonderful season, but along the way, you couldn't, with that many weddings, you couldn't help but start to do a little bit of comparison between them. You notice some services are longer, some people have uh, more expensive decorations, uh, some people have a really built-out reception, some have no receptions of all, at all. Uh, along the way, we found one underrated part of weddings, hors d'oeuvres. Turns out hors d'oeuvres are really, really important. Uh, it, m many weddings is typical. There's after the service, before the reception, there's uh, a lengthy period of time while the uh, bridal party is getting pictures taken or doing whatever, and you're mingling about as a guest and you're snacking on food. Um, we went to one particular wedding that had this pattern, but had no hors d'oeuvres in between. Now, it was a high-quality wedding. It was obvious that it was a really good dinner was coming. But the question of, what about right now, came up. It was like a setup for a Snickers commercial. <laughs> Hungry, why wait? You know, the, it's possible to be taken captive by the urgency of the immediate need. Um, certainly, if you were to talk about people generally today, maybe we don't spend enough time thinking forward about heaven and eternity. And yet it's also possible to be so forward-looking that we lose sight of the here and now, which is, after all, where we live. Uh, back in the 1800s, when right before the Great Awakening, that was the state of the church. There was lots of talk of heaven, lots of talk of eternity with God, but almost nothing about communion with God now, about God's spirit dwelling within us, about the joy and peace that we could have right now by God's presence. The Lord lit a fire through the preaching of men like George Whitfield, talking about the new birth in Jesus and about the sweet presence of God that we can have on this very day. Well, that wasn't just a fad made up by some really talented preachers. That concern for what life should be like now for believers actually comes right from Jesus himself. Uh, in the passage we looked at last week, John 14, Jesus told us ways that his disciples were to find peace as he was about to leave this world. Jesus is about to go off to the cross, the less than 24 hours left in his earthly life. And he's not going to leave his disciples to despair. He's preparing their hearts for this reality. In verse 1, he said, let, your hearts, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then we saw these reasons that he gave them to have this peace in their hearts. Most of those reasons were forward-looking. His 
presence in heaven that we would enjoy with God, the pathway to God that Jesus himself made, the home that he's preparing for us in heaven. Well, this week, Jesus turns his attention to the reasons we can have peace and joy to not lose faith right here, right now, today. We'll see three of those reasons that Jesus gave to his disciples and that we, in turn, can benefit from ourselves. Those three reasons are, first, the love of Jesus flowing from you. The love of Jesus flowing from you. The second reason is the Holy Spirit that's helping you. The Holy Spirit that's helping you. And the third is the triune God living in you. The triune God living in you. Now, normally I would give you very neat verse uh, distinctions between the points. Uh, This particular passage uh, takes the form of a, uh, a common kind of rabbinical way of teaching where you, you revisit a subject and kind of fill it in along the way. So if I gave you very tight verse uh, delineations along the way, I'd end up repeating myself quite a bit. So instead, I'm going to give you three passes through the passage. I'll point out the relevant verses. Think of it like you're painting a wall and maybe you do multiple coats of paint to make sure it all sinks in. Jesus is going to do the same sort of thing. Those are the three reasons he gives us. Think of them as the three passes we're going to do as Jesus paints this picture for us. For us. Why we should not lose faith. Why we should have encouragement on this day. First, the love of Jesus flowing from you. Verse, look with me down in verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Even as I read that, there's an elephant in the room. We are an evangelical church. We preach the gospel of grace, that we are saved not by anything we do, but by the grace of God within us. A condition clause like that, verse 15, if you love me, it seems to feel like a a little bit of spiritual manipulation. Jesus saying, uh, If you love me, you will do this for me. Maybe you've had someone in an unhealthy relationship use a kind of condition like that to try and get you to do something. Uh, I grew up in a church, uh, Seventh-day Adventist church, that did a lot of this. They, They would say, you need to obey Jesus with capital letters. And that's how you stay in right relationship with God. Well, is that what Jesus is doing here? Is this an oversight, something that just doesn't fit in with the rest of the gospel message? No, I don't think so. I think it's much better to understand the condition there that Jesus gives as describing what love of Jesus actually looks like. So if you reread the verse as, if you love me, in this way it will be seen. This is how you will notice it. You will keep my commandments. It's a little bit like, the relationship between smoke and fire. We're entering autumn. The weather's going to cool down. Maybe you have a fire pit. You're going to roast some marshmallows, hang out with people outside without the annoying mosquitoes around. You know, when you're starting a fire along the way, one of the ways you can know that the fire is going is you start to see smoke. Now, smoke is not a condition that's required for fire to come about. It's not as if you better get some smoke if you want there to be fire. And yet, as the ignition process happens and the wood is consumed and the gases are released, there will be some amount of smoke that is released. You can know that a fire is present if you see smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. 
It's a very similar way Jesus is describing what love for him will be like. You might say if there is the fire of love for Jesus in someone's heart, there will be a smoke trail coming out that we will be able to spot. Well, what is that smoke trail made up of? Well, he gives us two different things that you will be able to see, two marks of genuine love for Jesus. The first is obedience to Jesus' commandments. He says, uh, you will keep my commandments in verse 15. Look in verse 21. He says it a slightly different way on the second pass. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So one of the things that you will see as a byproduct of a genuine love for Jesus is a attention to the things that Jesus, in fact, tells us that he loves. You'll see someone who loves Jesus wanting to live in a way that Jesus wants them to live. And over time, beginning to look more and more like Jesus. I think this was in the apostle's mind, the, the saying of Jesus he records here. As he writes another letter, uh, another, uh, in 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John 2, in verse 3, he says it's same idea with a slightly different angle on it. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So why is there, why should we be looking for a smoke trail of obedience from the fire of love of Jesus in our hearts? Well, because it tells us that our love of Jesus is in fact genuine. We are supposed to draw encouragement from this. Now it must be asked, what sort of commandments is Jesus talking about here? Is there one specific thing he's saying? Now, I don't think so. Um, I think he's speaking of the whole of his teaching to his disciples. And if you go back through John's gospel, I do think it's instructive how many of the commands Jesus gives are to receive and believe. Certainly there are other commandments that are actions we take, like loving each other the way he loved us. Yet the vast bulk of them are to turn our attention to Jesus, to value him as the one sent from his father. I don't think this is a warrant for us to try and spiritually beat each other over the head, to try and manipulate people into living the way we want them to live. Jesus here intends for this to be a means of bringing peace to our hearts. The smoke trail of obedience tells us that our love for Jesus, that that fire actually is in our hearts. Uh, one more line of evidence that I don't think this is supposed to be used in that sort of oppressive sort of way is that Jesus himself has this same pattern in his relationship with his father. Look with me all the way down in verse 30. I'm sorry, verse 31. It says, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. See, this is mirroring the relationship between Jesus and the Father. There's nothing dysfunctional within the relationship between the Father and Son within the Trinity. So the first way that you see the evidence of the fire of love for Jesus in our hearts is the smoke trail of obedience. But there's a second way it comes out, a second smoke trail. And that is attention to his word. Look with me in 23 and 24. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus says that a mark of a Christian, of, of someone that has entered this sort of saving relationship with Jesus and is now treasuring him as the Son of God from heaven that has saved their soul, is that they will love his word. They will pay careful attention to the things Jesus says. They will be drawn to his words. They will treasure his words. They will find his words to be the very word of life. When I was converted, that was one of the things that changed most radically in my life. I had been around the Bible a lot. I had been exposed to it my whole life. But I honestly didn't care to know much about it. I didn't want to read the word. I certainly didn't want to live my life in light of it. And then I came to know Jesus, and suddenly I couldn't get enough of it. I was staying up late into the night reading the Bible because it felt like life itself was hanging on his every word. You know this to be the case, don't you? That there's a sweetness to the word of God. There's a sweetness to knowing that these are Jesus' very words to you as a follower of his. Friend, if you see that, that is a smoke trail that is designed to tell you for sure there is love, genuine love for Jesus burning in your heart. Again, all of this is designed to help Jesus' disciples not lose heart. He, he says the same thing that he said at the beginning of the chapter in verse 27. All of this is for this purpose. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So brothers and sisters, please don't let this seeming condition Jesus places on his disciples trouble your heart. This is designed to encourage all genuine Christians. Realize there will be times when the smoke trail coming from the fire of love in your heart will be billowing. It will be obvious as you come back from a mission trip or you were on some sort of retreat or there is some major spiritual breakthrough that the Lord has given you. It will be obvious. And then there will be other times, friends, where it will be just a wisp of smoke that's there. And yet Jesus does not say it's the quantity or the quality of this smoke that matters. It is the presence of it that matters. So friend, if you find yourself doubting this week, ask yourself, is there any measure of obedience to Christ and care for his word that I can see in my life? Maybe it's an, a particular action that I have decided not to take because I know God's word says God is not pleased with that action. Maybe it's just carving out a short amount of time each day, as hard as it may be to read a verse or two in the Bible, as hard as that may be to work yourself up to. Or maybe it's some sort of relationship with another Christian that you find just a, a deeper affinity with that you, than you otherwise could explain along social lines. Whatever it is, friend, if there is this smoke trail, as feeble as it may be, Draw encouragement that your love for Christ, oh, it is true. On the other hand, friend, if there's no evidence, if there's no smoke trail as feeble as it might be, if there's not one thing over the last year or five years or 10 years that you can point to that's done in obedience to Christ, if there's no desire to know his word or to conform your life to it, 
then friend, you should ask, is there a genuine love for Christ in my heart? I'm very concerned when someone comes to me and says, I love Jesus, but, and the end of that sentence is all the ways that they are going to disregard what his word says and what obedience to Christ means. Friend, if you know that you are living out of step with Christ and you know you are disregarding his word as a pattern in your life, then friend, you should ask the question, is there genuine love or is there not? Jesus first gives us a way for us to know whether we are, have genuine love in our hearts for him or not. There will be an outflow from it. But that's not the only line of encouragement he will give us. Not, not just the things flowing out from us. Now he's going to turn his attention to the next two passes of paint, to the things he is pressing into us. The first of which is the Holy Spirit that he sent to help us. In verses 16 through 18, the main section will be in there. The Holy Spirit he sent to help us. It said in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. On this trip that I went on, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to go into China. And uh, it turns out right now is a difficult time for someone in my line of work to be going into China. And so I knew that getting a visa would be a big deal. So I actually hired someone to help me navigate that process. And I was so glad for that person I hired. He actually went with me to the Chinese embassy. Um, it's a little bit like the DMV, but in Chinese, which is as much fun as it sounds. And, and uh, he set the expectations in the right place. He said, all right, you're gonna go in this line, you're gonna fill out this form, and then you're gonna wait about an hour, and you're gonna go to this other line and fill out another form, and then you're gonna wait and wait and wait. About four hours later, here you go, you'll be fine. And it turned out it went exactly the way that he had predicted. Uh, having someone that knows how to help you, someone who really knows the counsel you need, it is such a comfort, isn't it? In verse 16, we are just, see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's described as another helper that Jesus will send. The word behind that helper, paraclete, it, it has the idea of a legal aid or a, a legal counsel that would stand with you in a courtroom setting. Someone that would comfort you by telling you the way that this is all unfolding and giving you guidance on the way to navigate the difficult waters of uh, a, a courtroom. This paraclete passage is, we actually have two of them here in the passage this morning. There's two more at the end of 15 and 16. They describe for us the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers and in the world. And they teach us much about how it is that God gives us this peace in our lives. I, I want to draw your attention to two titles that are given to the paraclete or the helper, the spirit, and what they show us about the way that God, in fact, brings us this peace. The, the first is the main thing that the spirit does that will lead us to this peace is the spirit reminds us of the truth of Christ. You can see that verse 17 at the, as the title of the spirit of truth. Uh, it's, it's, there we go. Helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. That, that comes back uh, a little further down in verse 26. 
but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see the role of the Spirit there? He, he is to bring the words of Christ back to mind to his disciples and thereby, thereby bringing them this lasting peace. Now certainly with the first disciples, the ones that heard Jesus say those words, this was a crucial role. They did not have printed Bibles. The scriptures were not yet inscripturated, written down. So how was it that John sat down and remembered so much of what Jesus wrote? How about any of the other disciples? We are not left wondering how is it possible that they could record so accurately. It's the spirit of God within them brought to mind the things that they needed to write down. Now at the same time, let's realize that this ministry that the Holy Spirit has, it didn't stop with the disciples. The Spirit still brings to mind the words that God's people need to get from their ears down into their heart to transform us from the inside out. Uh, back during the Great Awakening, George Whitfield got up to preach one day, and Whitfield liked to preach with little or no notes. He was very open to feeling as if the Lord was directing him by the Spirit to preach from a different passage. And he got up, and he suddenly decided, I'm going to preach from Micah 4.12, instead of the passage I picked. And he, his eyes happened to look down at a particular guy that just walked into the room, and he declared with all the force of this great preacher, he said, prepare, O Israel, to meet your God. And the guy who he was looking at just melted. He knew that was the word meant for him, and for the next 30 minutes, he described it as like daggers that were going into his heart from the word of God. That man was gloriously converted. He came to Christ. He became a missionary. He served the Lord for over three decades after that experience. Now, that's an extreme example of the, the Spirit guiding someone to a particular reference within the Bible. And yet, there's a regular way that the Spirit does this in our lives. I'm, have you ever had one of those situations where it feels like a verse is kind of following you around all week? You know, maybe one of the rabbit trails of a rambling preacher, he just mentions a verse. And then on Monday or Tuesday, you're driving in the car and you hear it on the Christian radio again. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if I'm supposed to think about that. And, and then you go to Bible study. For some reason or another, it comes up again. And you're like, okay, even a dense preacher like me can get what's going on here, God. You want me to listen to what this is. And, and, and it's possible to try and make this artificial and manipulative. I, I'm not saying you should go doing the uh, Russian roulette through your Bible, flipping through, finding a random verse, and that's your word from the Lord. And yet, if what Jesus is saying is true, we should expect that the Spirit would bring to mind regularly in our lives Bits of God's word that we need to go from our ears down into our hearts. I think this happens far more often than we realize. For some reason or another, a verse pops into your mind as you're having a conversation with another believer. I've experienced it again and again in counseling situations. For, for whatever reason, a particular verse is put in front of me, and it turns out that's the word the person needs to hear that day. When we see those things happen, we know that the, the spirit of truth is doing his work among us, helping us, aiding us, bringing the word of God to bear on our hearts. The second relevant title we need to look at is the Holy Spirit, down in verse 26. But the helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. The holy is a uh, term rightly that belongs to God and God alone in a certain sense. Uh, we as people can be holy. Angels can be described as holy. And yet all of us are holy as a reflection or a derivative of God himself. When the angels fly around God, they, the, in the Isaiah's vision, in Isaiah 6, they say, holy, 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 in description of God. Because if you were to ask what attribute of God's is closest to the, the godness of God, as D.A. Carson calls it, you would say it is his holiness. That certainly has implications for purity and being set apart. And yet, for someone to bear the title of holy as the Holy Spirit, that, that is something only God can do. Notice how the Spirit, how intertwined he is with the rest of the Trinity. We're told that in verse 16, Jesus would ask the Father, and the Father would give the Spirit. We're also told in verse 26 that the Father will send the Spirit, and he'll send him in Jesus' name. When we get into the next paraclete passage at the end of 15 and 16, we'll see that you can also rightly say that Jesus himself sends the Spirit. We're starting to wade into the deep water of the doctrine of the Trinity here, the, the Father, Son, and Spirit, all three persons of the Godhead, all truly God, yet distinct persons. Each of them are doing this work within a believer to bring peace and joy even through the difficulty that all disciples of Christ will encounter. Jesus tells us that the, this Holy Spirit has been sent to encourage us, to remind us of the truth of God's word, and to change us from the inside out. So brothers and sisters, have you been noticing the Spirit helping you? Have you been noticing the Spirit at work among you? It, it does not have to be that the Spirit works in a flashy way. Very often he works through whispers. And yet if you notice the Spirit at work within you, you should draw comfort. That is God at work in your life, making sure you do not despair, making sure you can have joy and peace, even as you traverse all the difficulties of this life. Now, if you're not in the habit of praying that God would comfort you by the Holy Spirit, or even to pray directly to the Holy Spirit to comfort you, let me just say that is a proper thing to do. We're described as uh, temples of the Holy Spirit. A temple is a place where you go to worship and pray to a God. It is perfectly fine for a believer to pray and ask, Spirit, would you bring to mind the very parts of the word of Christ that I need for this meeting I'm in. If you haven't done that, I, I find it to be a very comforting and a very fruitful exercise to uh, discipline to pray and ask for the spirit to empower us. So the first way that is being pushed into us that we're to find encouragement is the spirit helping us. But there's something even beyond that. Something that brings even a different and deeper level of joy and peace that we were to find in the midst of this world. And that is the triune God living in us. The triune God living in us. We'll see this principally in 19 through 20. Exodus beginning in verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. 
but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus knows that goodbyes are hard, and it would be foolish to think that just because Jesus has spoken to them about an eternal home in heaven and the joys of heaven, that the disciples would not be greatly discouraged by saying goodbye to Jesus on this earth. So he tells them straight out that I won't leave you at orphans. I'm not abandoning you. Well, how is it that comes about? About 19, a, a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. He's speaking of the, what is about to happen in the cross and then what's coming after in the resurrection. That Jesus will reappear to his disciples and begin an ongoing ministry to them and through them. And then more specifically, he tells them, and that's not the end of it. All this is leading somewhere. And where that somewhere is, is in your heart. You notice that in verse 20? He said, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Is there any more intimate way for him to describe his ongoing relationship with us? Us in him, him in us. This is the fulfillment of the great promise of the Old Testament, that God would dwell with his people. Now not happening in a temple in a nation, now happening in the heart of a believer. Jesus himself coming to live within us and live through us as we walk through this world. Now, it's not just Jesus that does this dwelling within us. It's actually the Father and the Spirit also. Uh, I don't know if you caught this back uh, in verse 17. Jesus describing the work of the Spirit. Um, he said, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit also makes his home in the believer. And as he said in verse 16, he will be with you forever. In other words, he's moving in, but he's moving in for good. It's one thing to have a, a house guest for a few weeks. It's a completely another thing for someone to move in with the intention of staying for good. By the Spirit, Jesus has made a home in our hearts. And we know the joy of it, don't we? We have that wonderful him that we uh, love so much. Uh, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Uh, There's some parts of that that are, could be a little overly sentimental, and yet the truth kernel underneath it is a sweet one, that Jesus inhabits us. He lives within us. And that's the closest sort of relationship that anyone could ever hope for with God. This is also true of the Father. You can see Jesus talk about this uh, down in verse uh, 26, I'm sorry, uh, verse uh, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. All three members of the Trinity dwelling within your heart, brothers and sisters. Does that not give you a sense of joy and peace this morning? After George Whitfield died, uh, one of his friends, and at one point his rival, uh, John Wesley, he wrote a poem 
that was published to commemorate Whitfield's life. And Whitfield spent lots of time dwelling on this thought of God's living within us by his spirit. And this, listen to the, the way this brother in Christ was described. Who but the souls that savingly believe the raptures of a faithful soul conceive, the joy unspeakable, the love unknown, the peace he felt is understood by none, by none but those who know their sins forgiven through God, the Holy Ghost, come down from heaven. How is it that God keeps us from losing faith? How does he keep us from despairing, even though Jesus isn't walking with us in this world? Well, it's by him assuring us that he is with us, dwelling in our hearts. You know, at your best moments, you know this to be true, don't you? You have a quiet time and you come away with it, maybe even with a tear in your eye, and you say, I met with God this morning. God wasn't gone before that, but you just had a, a renewed sense that he is there with you in this relationship that he has promised with you. At our clearest moments when the, the flesh and the devil haven't clouded our spiritual eyes, we know this to be true. And the good news, friends, is this joy that we have today continues on forever. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, I hope that you don't go looking anywhere else for this source of peace. Jesus himself told us that this is not a peace that the world can give. This is only the sort of peace that God can give. All the more reason for us to lean into our special moments with the Lord, whether that's something you do on your own in the mornings or your time gathering with the rest of God's people like this morning to, to worship, to experience the closeness of God. We won't find this sort of peace anywhere else. And when we go looking for it somewhere else, we'll find ourselves fearful, riddled with anxiety, and the very things that Jesus is telling us we are not to find in this world. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I wonder if maybe there is a nagging sense of unease or anxiety in your life. Maybe you just have a sense that something's not right either with the world or with your life specifically? If so, friend, it's because you are lacking the thing that Jesus is speaking about here. You are made by a God, made in such a way that only relationship with him can bring lasting peace and contentment to your heart. Friend, you might go searching anywhere else in this world, all the pleasure you can seek, all the philosophy that may seem like it makes sense of life, but none of it at the end of the day will bring you this lasting peace that Jesus is talking about. Friend, if you know that's lacking, that might be Jesus calling you to himself this morning. You see, you can't just have this sort of relationship with God except for what Jesus is about to leave his disciples to do, to go and die on a cross. His death wasn't pointless. It was to allow this peace to come to people that are actually at war with God, whether they realize it or not. See, the Bible tells us that our problem isn't just distance from God. Our problem is that we want to be kings of our own lives. We want to live the way we want to live, and we will disregard what God wants, even though he made us. The Bible calls that sin, and it says that there is a penalty for sin, 
that unless that penalty is dealt with, that we will find nothing in an encounter with God but fear and one day punishment. But on the cross, Jesus did away with the doom that we would face before God. Jesus paid our penalty for sins in his blood. He gave his life in the place of ours so that if you receive this gift from Jesus, instead of fear, you can have peace. If you've never experienced that, friend, there's nowhere else you'll find it. There's nothing else that will bring satisfaction and lasting peace to the human heart except what Jesus can bring you before God. If you don't understand what it is I'm saying, let me just encourage you, find a Christian friend and ask them how they found this sort of peace. And they'd be glad to tell you how you can find it too. Jesus' time on the earth with the disciples is coming to a close. He tells them as much. He says in verse 29, and now I've told you before it takes place, so when it does take place, you may believe. He knows the cross is going to be a shock. And he knows that the hours are quickly coming to an end. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. He's telling them that what is about to happen was Judas betrays him and he's handed over to the Jews and then finally to the Romans to be killed. None of this is by accident. This is all part of the design of how he will glorify the Father and bring this peace to our hearts. It says if they understood it, they would not be troubled by it. In verse 30, I'm no longer talk much, uh, verse 31, uh, but I do this as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. As we think back to that night, Jesus' final moments with his disciples, we are called to remember, to remember that which he gave up, his very life, and to remember that which he gave us, a lasting peace with God starting today that will carry us all the way through eternity. One of the ways that we experience that ongoing, lasting peace is as we come to the Lord's table together. It's a reminder of what the sacrifice of Jesus was all about, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, and the, the new people that he was bringing together through this work of grace. As we take it as a church, we are to remember, to remember the Savior that died for us, and to remember the encouragement that he means for us to find together. Our God is with us. His spirit has been sent to aid us. And there is love for Jesus burning in our hearts that we can see. Let's pray as we prepare for the table. Oh Lord Jesus, So many reasons you have given us, Lord Jesus, to not lose heart, but to have peace, peace that the world cannot give us, but peace that comes by your spirit, applying your word to us. Thank you for being willing to give up your life, to be obedient even to the point of death, so that we could have that sweet sweet relationship with your Father, with the Spirit, and even with you. 
as we gather to do this now as your people, would you remind us of the ways that you have upheld us until this day? Of how we have, as a church have been comforted by your spirit, applying the word to our hearts, as we have individuals have seen spiritual change and growth in our own lives, would you remind us that this is all a gift from you? I pray if there's anyone that still has some unreconciled relationship with a brother or sister, that you would use this time to remind them of the unity of our body. I pray also that you would bring comfort with the assurance of sins forgiven and that there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Give us joy and peace as we come to your table now. Remind us of the many reasons we have to trust you. Pray this in your mighty name. Amen.